Naturally, who know God, make a special effort to bring some XGI to hear our message on Revelation to the next chapter, Saturday night. The average boy among the 12 million young men that were in uniform in the last war, what contact they had with the preacher, he was either he was a beer drinker, a cigarette sucker, a woman chaser, a dirty joke teller, a fellow who made fun of whole eleven. We do not yet realize the terrible damage that was done to our national life by the contact of twelve million of our boys with preachers. I'm going to say some very plain things here Saturday night, things that if they do not bring God's people to prayer. It'll just prove what some of us are beginning to suspect, that it may be God has given up on America. Maybe that's so. Billy Graham says that he believes that God's given us two more years to repent. He's a little more optimistic than I am. It may be too late now. I do not know. I want you to hear that message, and I want you to help me. Tomorrow night, why... You can revel in booze and lust, thumb your nose at God, reject Jesus as Lord, resist the Holy Spirit. Why doesn't God kill you and send you to hell the moment you do that? Let's find the Bible answer to that question tomorrow night. My Lord said, so not among thorns. So not among thorns. It is the deep conviction of my soul that it's been 40 years since we plowed the ground spiritually in America. And the purpose behind this layman who backs these meetings and my purpose is that we'll seek to do what's not being done much and come to help godly pastors. I mean godly pastors. I don't want to help the preacher who will not cry aloud and spare not cause the people to hear about that transgression. I don't want to help them. I don't want them to like them. If you have them in your city, I don't know about that. You do. I don't want to help them. I want to hurt them. I don't want anybody to hear them. But I want to help every godly preacher in these awful, last, desperate days. I want to try to plow some ground where we live in Winston-Salem. The issue is not trying to get people to make confessions. The issue is not trying to get people to join churches. Most of them done done that. The issue is godly living. The end of salvation is holiness. And the only evidence anybody got that he's a saved person is that he's living a holy life. There is absolutely no assurance of salvation any other place. Now we are plowing. We're running into a lot of opposition. We're trying to challenge rebellion. I made my mind, and I began to pray for God, let me get out of the army. I finally resigned, and it looked like it wasn't letting out anyhow. And I said, Lord, if you let me out of this mess, I'll never go hold another meeting without making this my motto. We're going to have revival or rebellion. A revival or a rebellion. And we're coming close now. These two and a half hours on the radio are being mightily used of God. 
and multitudes of people are gnashing their teeth, and that's the prelude to great victory or the prelude to terrible judgment. And I'm asking every child of God under the tent and over the radio to be much in prayer in these critical days that we shall so please God we'll see him work in mighty power. Tonight the subject is goodbye God. I read from the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah, the first three or four verses. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so the ship was like to be broken. You remember how that they had a meeting on that ship, and they said there's somebody causing trouble here, and they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah, and they dumped him overboard. And God had prepared a fish for that special occasion. The fish swallowed up Jonah, and, and God let him stay in the, his body in the belly of the fish and his soul in hell for three days and nights. Somebody said they didn't believe a man could stay in a fish's belly three days and nights and live. And I said, no, nobody claims that Jonah lived. The Bible said plain about it. God killed him there in the belly of the fish. And he cried in, from the very pit of hell, if you read the entire book of Jonah. Though Jonah found out that salvation is of the Lord, and when he got saved, why, the Lord told him to go and preach unto the city the preaching that I bid thee. And old Jonah got up, and here he skedaddled and went to Nineveh. And as soon as he hit the city limits, he said, Yet forty days, and God's going to destroy this city. And they had the only citywide revival that's ever been recorded. We talk about a citywide revival. We know good and well we're not going to have a city-wide revival. We know that confusion is everywhere. We know there's no city in America where you can get all of the churches to get together around the truth of the gospel. But we do use that term for expediency, and we have the precedent of one city where they had a city-wide revival. All the preacher preached was judgment coming, you better repent, and beginning with the king on down to the holiest man, they repented and clothed themselves in sackcloth and ashes and got right with Almighty God. Now, Jesus believed the story of Jonah and the fish. He still puts his stamp of approval on it by quoting it from this record in the New Testament. They tell us now that this story is not so, but Jesus thought it was. And with no apology for believing that it's an actual occurrence, I want tonight, if we can, to learn some lessons from Jonah. Jonah, the man who turned his back on the will of God and the command of God. Jonah, the prodigal son, 
of the Old Testament. Jonah, who tried to run away from the voice of God and throw away all restraint like the prodigal son in Luke 15. Both of them ran away from God. Both of them got back, one by way of a hog pen and the other by way of a fish's belly. I want us to learn the story and some lesson from this man who attempted to tell God goodbye. Now, Scripture, Scripture is many-sided and broad-edged. Some preachers sometimes get offended when I preach that Jonah was unsaved. Well, I don't know. It's very difficult for me to live in a world with me being the only person that's right on everything. I try to be tolerant with everybody else. But yet everybody I know is wrong somewhere, and as far as I know, I've never made a mistake, you know. And uh, But you'll be tolerant with me. Now, <clears throat> the reason I cannot preach that Jonah was a backslider is because the Scripture does not so teach. It doesn't say that Jonah was a prophet when God came and told him to go and cry against the city of Nineveh. Just said his name was Jonah, and his old man was the name of Mittai. And God came and said to Jonah, I want you to get up now and skedaddle down to the city of Nineveh and cry against it, for its wickedness has come up before me. And instead of that, old Jonah rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you never get another word, Ralph Barnard says, while he's here, you get this. A Christian will not run from God. A Christian will not run from God. And old Jonah did just exactly like every unsaved God-hating, law-hating, Christ-rejecting sinner when God begins to press his claims upon the sinner's soul. The old sinner skedaddles and tries to do his debt level best to get away from every restraint and from the voice of a holy God. And then the reason I preached that Jonah was not a backslider is the scriptures were plain that he didn't get saved until God Almighty hemmed him up, got him in a fish's belly, killed him plumb dead as he has to do to save anybody. And Jonah found out and cried, Salvation is of the Lord. You know, the first lesson I'd love for us to learn tonight is that Jonah, like every sinner, was getting along just fine till God began to interfere with his life, until God in mercy brought his first command upon him. Every old sinner, until God Almighty begins to deal with him, is just getting along fine, thank you. A woman phoned me today, and she was weeping, and she said, I'm so greatly disturbed. Well, thank God. This is one thing that Ralph Barnard knows. Practically everybody in the city of, city of Natchez, if you had right good sense, you'd be disturbed. Most of you Christians, if you are saved, you certainly are mighty lax in the matter of obedience. And brother, you better not let another sun go down 
until you render God Almighty every day of your life perfect as far as your motive and heart's desire is concerned. Obedience to Almighty God. I'm so sick and tired of going up down this country and begging Christians to pray. I don't believe that, but I believe you ever get saved, all the devils in hell couldn't keep you from praying. I'm so sick and tired of this stuff they call the gospel that begs God's people to live holy life. I don't believe that. I don't believe you're a Christian unless you're striving with all your might and your means to live a holy life. I'm so sick and tired of this stuff about evangelists going up down the country and they had 1,500 people uh, made first-time professions and 2,600 backsliders reclaimed. I don't believe that. Somebody says, well, I, I used to be a Christian and then I fell into sin and for years I had my back turned on a beat. I don't believe a word of it, not a word of it. I tell you, we got into that by preaching this furious gospel that Jesus Jesus will save you if you spend some time, if it's convenient, you can surrender to him as Lord. You listen to me. Listen to me. Rebellion has got to be challenged, and it's got to be revealed, and it's got to be conquered, and it's got to be crushed, and it's got to be repented of, and it's got to be forsaken and brought and laid at Jesus' feet before God Almighty will save you. Rebellion's got to be crushed. My Lord's not going to plant the white flag of peace in your heart while you've got a shotgun turned at him. He's not going to do it, my friend. He's not going to do it. Oh, hear me. What men and women need now is not reconsecration. What men and women need now is not rededication. What men and women need now is salvation. Salvation. My Bible says, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. They don't say nothing about a Christian order for God. They don't say nothing about a Christian order follow God. It says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They follow me. My sheep listen to me. The Lord says, my child, listen to me. Listen to me. Oh, Jonah says, oh, no, sir. I'll not do it. See, he's not saved. As they always do. Somebody says, well, I believe what? Okay. Okay. But he wouldn't listen to God. And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. They obediently hear it. And they follow me. They follow me. Hear me tonight. Rebellion's got to be revealed. Oh, my friends, listen to me. Rebellion's got to be challenged. Secret rebellion. That's the word for iniquity. Secret rebellion. And here's old Jonah just getting along fine. Everything hunky-dory. And God Almighty began to interfere. The old-time preacher said, I was going merrily on my road to hell, and God interfered. And he said, sure, got to interfere, or this whole world will go to eternal hell. You know, when God in mercy begins to press his character and his demands, the sinner rebels and starts running. That's where old Jonah did. The fool has said it is hard, no God for me. And yonder in the days of the exodus, when the people were settled down in the best part of Egypt, and Egypt is a type of sin, and they're getting long time, and then God raised up Moses and sent them down there to prepare them and lead them out of Egypt into the promised land, and when they began to suffer a little bit under the hard taskmasters of the Pharaohs, these people 
people that then just get a long time till God began the process of delivering them out of Egypt into the promised land. They rose up and begged the old Moses go on about his business and leave them alone. Leave them alone. That's the cry of men today. Leave me alone. Mind your business. Leave me alone, they say to God. If not with their lips, with their heart, they say, depart from me. Depart from me, O oh God. Men want to be left alone. Men want to be left alone. There are thousands of people hearing how broadcast and coming to this tent now. That rebellion in their hearts has been challenged. The rebellion against holy living. The rebellion against obedient service. The rebellion against crowning Jesus as absolute Lord of your life. And they're in a state of rebellion. And I'm asking God's people to mightily cry to God that that rebellion shall be crushed for the power of God. And they shall be brought and princess and throw up their hands and say, oh God, have mercy on me, a little sinner in your sight. I don't rebellion to go on because rebellion leads the eternal hell. And here's old Jonah. And he said, leave me alone. Leave me alone. I'm gone. I'm not going to do what you've got to say. So he rebelled. He rebelled against the command of Almighty God. Now, that didn't get him lost. He is already alienated. Men don't get lost by running from God. They get lost. They're already lost. They do their running from God when God in mercy begins to deal with them and press his commands upon them. When a man has face to face with truth, he's got to rebel against it or he's got to yield to it. And old Jonah's up against it now. But he's got to obey or he's got to reveal the fact that he's not willing to mind God. And so old Jonah, instead of doing what God said, he rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and he bought a ticket on a boat to start Tarshish. And Tarshish, they tell us in the Bible, is anywhere away from the presence of Almighty God. I woke up to the ticket agent down there in the city of Joppa, and I said, where's everybody going? Why, he said, they're going to Tarshish. I said, where is Tarshish? Why, he said, it's the capital of the faraway land. It's bounded on the east by desire to be let alone. It's founded on the north by determination to have one's own way. It's founded on the south by it's none of your business. It's founded on the west by bleak, barren waste of a Christless eternity. Tarshish is not a location. It's a relation. Tarshish is anywhere away from Almighty God. And I'm curious about it. And as I'm down there in Joppa and see old Jonah get on the boat and turn as he walks up the gangplank and says, Goodbye, God! I'm going to get away from you where you can't tell me what to do! No God for me! I walk up to the ticket agent and say, I'm curious. 
I want to see a ticket. I want to see the ticket these people are buying. He said, well, I'm afraid you just have to wait a while. I got such a crowd here, and I want you folks in Natchez to be patient with me. We'll have to hang around here a little bit before I can get up to the ticket agent and get him to let me see a copy of the ticket that people are buying. For the multitudes are rushing, climbing over one another's backs to see who can get to the ticket agent first and get a ticket to drive them away from the voice of the holy God who says in these days be ye holy as I am holy. And this generation is doing its dead level best to get on any kind of boat they find that'll take them as far away from any of the righteous commands and holy provisions of a holy God. But finally, after much patience, I get up to the ticket agent's window and he gives me a copy of the ticket that everybody's buying to get away from the presence of God. But finally, after much patience, I get up to the ticket agent's window, and he gives me a copy of the ticket that everybody's buying to get away from the presence of God. And I read on the ticket, and the first thing I notice on the ticket is, this ticket is not transferable. In other words, you got to pay your own way if you get on a boat that takes you with your back turned toward the will of God in your life with your face turned toward eternal hell in the last to come. I tell you, my friend, I can't warn you tonight, you'll have to pay your own way. You may be running with some group or some individual with your neck bowed against God. You may be hurrying to buy tickets, getting on a boat to try to get clear away from God's voice. But remember that someday that ticket's got to be paid for, and when that day comes, You'll have to pay the fare of the ticket and the trip on the boat till you get away from Almighty God. When day day comes, and it will come, the crowd on your boat can never help you bear your anguish, your heartaches, and your remorse. I look at the ticket and I see a second thing written on the ticket, no return privilege. And I ask him, what does that mean? Why, he said, these boats will take you away. But none of them ever come back. Sometimes you ride up there, buy a ticket, and said you want a round trip for one way. But these boats that lead the men and women away from the voice of Almighty God, from the will of Almighty God, from the holy commandments and demands of a holy God, every one of them gets you away, further and further and further away. But none of them will bring you back. None of them will bring you back. Old Jonah got on a boat. And he skedaddled toward Tarshish, and he never did get back to God on that old boat. And if God had let him alone, he'd still landed down in eternal hell. No return privileges if God leaves you alone. When you buy a ticket on one of these boats, my friend, abandon all hope. When you step up the gang tank and wave goodbye, God, that boat will land in hell. And then I look at the ticket and read another thing, you youngsters. Get quiet, will you please? It bothers the preacher a whole lot. I read in the third place on that ticket, good over any of the following routes. And I asked the ticket agent, what does that mean? Well, he said, one boat goes round that way, and another boat goes round that way, and another boat goes through that way, and another boat goes over yonder. 
But that they all wind up at the same place, and that's the city of Tarshish, away from the presence of God. And I walk along the wharf, and I see boats coming and going, and they have different names on them. And then I walk back, and I said, all these boat trips go to the same place. And the ticket agent says, yes, every one of them, they go around a little different way. But when they get to their destination, they've taken a man away from all hope, away from all expected mercies of a holy God. And I look at the names on some of those boats, and I see a great big boat that crowded today. And on the boat is written the word B-double-O-Z-E booze. And I see them crowding up the gangplank to get on that boat in the city of Natchez. Boys and girls, men and women, in the church and out, buying that whiskey, whether it's legal or whether it's legal or illegal, it's still hellish, it's still a sin against Almighty God and the nation that sells it, or the state that sells it, or the county that sells it, or the city that sells it, or the human being that sells it, or he who drinks it. We'll find out that booze will land you in hell, but it'll never bring you to Almighty God. I look at that gilded boat and see the unsuspecting fools climbing on one another's back to get up the gangplank to drown away that troubles in a sea of forget-me-not. And I see the boat as it hurries out. And I see it disappear, and I wonder, will it ever come back? And I walk up to the ticket agent. He said, no, the folks on that boat will go on and on and on the other way. But that boat does not come back. Oh, my friend, of the crowds that sail on the good ship booze, loaded with good fellas, you'll find many in the gutter, the dance halls, the brothel, in rags, in poverty, and in jail. And every last one of them expected to quit the ship before the wreck. But them of them ever do. They poor booze victim. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something now. I've preached in houses of ill fame by the hundreds. I've preached in many saloons. It's not much trouble to get a boozer to make a profession. The trouble is to get him to quit his booze. That's right. It's not much trouble to get a poor scarlet woman to profess faith in Christ. If you just know a few tricks of psychology, you can do that. He's scared to go to hell. But, brother, you can't get her to quit a life of shame. And I remind you that salvation is to live. Salvation's not profession. Salvation's not you doing something for Christ. Salvation's God doing something for you. A poor old booze victim was found in a sloppy joint one night, stone dead. And as people dressed his body for burial, they found a note in his old soggy clothes. That note read, I leave to my children the humiliation of having a drunken father. To my poor wife, I leave the memory of a wrecked romance and the horrid nightmare of a booze-cursed home. To my mother, I leave all the sorrow one poor loving heart can bear. And to the devil, I leave this poor alcohol-soaked soul 
which he's had a mortgage for 15 years. Theodore Kyle said, to be a sober man costs the restraint and the scoff of fools. To be a tipless costs a ruined purse, a ruined body, and a lost soul. This boat of booze will take you away from God, but it'll never bring you back. I don't care if men of distinction drink it. The men of distinction who drink it will wind up in hate. I don't care if the best people drink it. The best people will wind up in hate. I don't care if our churches are nearly empty, the big churches on Sunday night, and the members are out at cocktail parties as they are in most of the places in this country. The people who indulge in it are spitting in the face of God. They're calling the Bible a liar. They're insulting God, and they're headed for eternal hell. And I warn you that the book says, I don't have any profession to face you make, and how much you cry and how much you sob, no drunkard shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And I look and I see another boat, and I find out it's headed for the same place, Tarshish. And I look and I see that that boat has written on it in gilded letters, the big word L. U.S.P. Lust. 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 The lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. And that boat is crowded today with men and women from the best families. Men and women. Boys and girls. Men and women from our churches. Men and women from our homes. Men and women in government. Men and women in society, poor men and women, rich men and women, the one big sin of this generation is the sin of lust. You cannot advertise an automobile without the picture of a naked girl. You cannot advertise a pack of cigarettes without the picture of a naked girl. You cannot advertise a county fair without the picture of a near naked girl. You cannot put on anything now without appealing to the gaze of men on the flesh of women. And we're paying the piper now. We read of sex orgies in our, in our cities, in our hotels, in our nightclubs, in our high schools. Have you ever heard down here of the, the, the club now that's going around? They tell us, I can't believe it, but they tell us that it's going around the high schools, I hope it hadn't reached this far, and it is the club that young girls are invited to enter, and no girl can be a member of that club if she still retains her virtue. The girl must swear that she's no longer virtuous in order to become a member of that club that now is trying to organize in every high school in America. God grant that that plan shall fail. Oh, my soul, mama, listen to me, father. This boat called up is crowded with this generation of men and women, boys and girls. A little girl came up to me tonight, and she said, Brother Barnard, is it a sin to wear shorts around the house? 
Thank God for a sensitive little girl. She's not hard like these women who flaunt their nakedness to arouse the passions of men and to thumb their nose at Almighty God. Any woman who dresses that way denies that she's a fallen creature and needs a Savior and thus is not saved. I'm telling you the truth, my friend. I know, I know the best church women do it, but the best church women are going to hell for flaunting their flesh in the nostrils of a God who commands women to dress modestly. That's what God says. God says for women to dress modestly. Listen to me. This generation's going to hell on Skid Row the Scarlet Pen. And I warn you, my friends, that no adulterer shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And I warn you that unless your heart is made pure by the Spirit's application of the blood of Christ to give you a clean heart, that you're not going to enter the portals of glory. And I rope on down, and I see another boat, and it's going the same direction. And I see written on it the word pleasure. The word pleasure. The word of God says that in the last days, men shall be lovers not of pleasure. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. Get that in your pipe and smoke it. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. God wants people to have pleasure. God wants people to have pleasure. He just wants you to get it in the right place at the right time. But this scripture doesn't say men shall be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. This scripture says that men shall be lovers of pleasure in the singular. And that's it. Now, bless God, I used to play baseball. The only person that kept me off the New York Giants team was the manager. He wouldn't let me off.